Hello and welcome to The Cinematic Adventures. This week, Jackie and I are going to continue Robert De Niro month with possibly the greatest director of all time or a complete goofball. Who's oh, to that's say? That's a hell of a setup. Quentin Tarantino is our Quentin Tarantino movies are the topic for this week. Yep. And I love them. What do you love about them? Uh, well, people, people are like Tarantino. He's like he's a genius. He makes all these, um, all these movies, and they're all great. And I'm like, yeah, they are, but like they're goofy as all hell. Yeah, and, they're and, also his directorial style is not exactly unique. It's really just borrowing from a bunch of other directors. Yeah, but like I, I feel like every time he talks. In any interview, he just brings up stuff that he loved as a kid. And Kill Bill is based on samurai and anime, and that has an anime sequence in it. And we'll get to it because. And also, um, also uh, Bruce Lee movies. That's where the suit came from. The yellow suit that she's wearing. Like, uh, throwback to Bruce Lee. I think it's Enter uh, the Dragon. I, and I some feel of the scenes in the movie are in one and two. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like he's not hiding it. And um, when whenever people talk about like great directors, the the idea of finding out what they like is like maybe we can unlock his genius by saying by finding out what what uh, kind of movies he likes. And Quentin Tarantino made a list of uh, his favorite movies for a particular year. I don't know which year it was. It was recently, and. Uh, he's like he just brought up a bunch of B movies and goofy stuff, and I'm like that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean with Quentin Tarantino specifically, it's really easy to figure out what his influences are because, like I said, like we just we already went through Kill Bill, Jackie Brown. It's um, it's black exploitation films. That's why he wanted Pam Greer, and it basically if you look at movies that came out from like the 60s and 70s and even like the early 80s, and you look at the, I guess you could say B-movies that were popular from then. So when he was growing up, if you look at the movies that were popular then and compare them to his movies, there's a direct line to every film he's done. Like you can easily deconstruct him by the, other, by the directors he was influenced by. That's what we were saying. Like we said it before in a different podcast when, I, when we were talking about, um, I think it was Joker. And you, you like really yeah. hated Joker because you were yeah. like, oh, you just stole from other directors. And I was like, yeah, most really good directors are just an amalgam of other di- of other directors. But like the way they put it together is what makes their style. Exactly. Like uh, George Lucas made Star Wars. And if you watch uh, war movies and uh, Flash Gordon, you can see where, he- and uh, samurai movies, you can see where his influences for Star Wars were from. And like 1950s direct- serials. Yeah. That's why they're crawling t- the scrolling text. Yeah, I would just like to point out that four. I would just like to point out that I did not bring up Star Wars. Well, Star Wars? one of us had to. It's part of our it's part of our shtick. I mean, if we we're gonna bring up one series every single time, I would much rather it be Marvel or the Matrix. Just saying. Okay. 
Well, I'll figure that out later. Um, so, how do you want to start this? Because there's a few movies. So, what were the movies that you saw? I what saw, Tarantino films have you seen in general, I, I, not just for this? I've seen uh, four Tarantino movies. And since he made eight, I think that's a good start. You I saw... Um, ah, I was so close. Um, I saw Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, and Jackie Brown. Oh, that's why you say, okay, Kill Bill Volume 2 is technically a second movie. They came out at different times. So, so you've seen okay. five. Because even though, like I, like, I consider the story to be one story, but it is two different movies. It's Kill Bill Volume 1 and then Kill Bill Volume 2. Okay. Uh, that's, that's fair. Um, you want to start with Kill Bill then? Because I have thoughts. What are your thoughts? Um, I, the first one, I loved... Because it's like, hey, how much blood do we need? I know, fuck it. Do we have scientific advisor? Yeah, he's drunk in the closet. All right, all the blood then. Let's have all what? the blood. Who gives a shit? Oh dear. I, it's, it's so over, volume one is so over the top. Um, it's hilarious. And there's an anime sequence in the middle of yes. it, just in case you're like, hmm, I wonder if this is based on uh, Japanese films. Oh, there's an anime sequence just in case the rest of it was too subtle. No, that's not why it's in there. The reason why it's in there is because the things that happen in that sequence cannot be on film if you want to be able to release that film. But if you put it in an anime, then it's not happening to an actual person and you can get away with it. Because I... that, ja that anime sequence had rape and several horrific murders. Yep. And it was, it, it was child. It was, it was, a, it was a child was being rape. raped. You can't film that. You can't. Like, there's no way you can put that in a movie, but you can animate it. That's why he did that. That, I think that he, I don't know this, but it feels like with all the other uh, Japanese influences that he has in this movie, that he wanted a scene to be animated, but he, and he picked the one that he couldn't get away with filming. But I don't know that. I don't know him. Maybe. Uh, no, so do you remember film. when like she brings the knife down and blood just like gushes or the sword this blood uh -huh. just like gushes everywhere like a geyser yeah you you literally can't film that because you wouldn't be like it would be nc-17 no, because remember no, we were talking before about like the code and about how like there you have to have like the blood can't look too real and you can't have like too much and you can only say fuck one time for it to be pg-13 all that stuff that's so everything that he couldn't film he put in that anime and he just found he thought that anime was a great way of still telling the story but like it's a horrific story so you can't film that you know it has a little girl being raped and then viciously murdering the guy that raped her so you can't put that you can't film that and telling it like saying it doesn't really work so he animated it for the re for the purpose of being able to still show the story without like it's kind of a cheat like without having to tell the story that's not to say that he doesn't have anime influences but he didn't put it in there because he just wanted anime he specifically animated that because he wanted to be able to tell that story and there was okay. just no other way to get it and he used the anime style because it fit with all the other japanese stuff that he put in yeah well i mean it was this the tale also happens in japan so that i mean if you're gonna do animation it's anime i mean so, yeah, fair enough yeah um I, uh, so for the first one, I like the fact that people say her name and they just censor it. And yes, I thought that that was going to be uh, the, 
I thought that, that was funny. And then in the second one, they just say her name. And I'm like, okay. Well, yeah, but they say it's a reveal. They don't just say her name. But um, to be fair, in the first one, you did get a hint. Oren said, oh, there's a conversation between she and Oren. And Oren pretty much tells you what it is. Because she says, silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. Oh, and her name's Kiddo. Her name's Beatrix. Beatrix Kiddo. Beatrix Kid, yeah. Get it? Um, Tricks? Kid? Tricks are for kids. I I get it. It's it's clever. (laughs) Um, And when when Bill called her uh, Kiddo, I was like, oh, that's a nickname. Cool. (laughs) Um, I I didn't get it until, like, the, the nurse pirate uh just said uh said it and then like oh cool also there's a nurse pirate she wants an eye patch why because she lost an eye she got her eye ripped out it was fucked i mean she got one eye she got her eye ripped out by um what is his name pay mm-hmm. but um then she got the other one ripped out by beatrix and um and then most likely although it hasn't been confirmed it was never confirmed because we never saw the body but odds are the snake bit her and she's dead. So yeah, um, she Fairly doesn't fuck around. Her. She was okay. So the first one. So in terms of like volume one and two, volume mm-hmm. one feels like a full movie, right? It feels like a full movie that's setting up for the sequel where she takes down Bill. But volume mm-hmm. two feels like the second and third act. So yeah, it, because what happened was. He had a movie that he had a story he wanted to tell and he wrote it out and then he realized in order to film this, it would be four hours long. And he was like, even if he trimmed everything he could to keep the story the way he wanted it, it was still going to be far too long. It'd be still be over three hours. So he was like, fuck it. And he cut it in half. And that's why there's volume one, volume two. It was always the one story, but he, he chopped it up and made, and put out volume one then later put out volume two specifically because he was like, you know, Endgame hadn't come out yet. He's like, Americans are not going to sit through a four hour movie or even a three hour movie. And he wanted to be able to do it justice. So he was like, I want it to be able to be at least three hours. So instead of, instead of like gutting the story, he just decided to cut it in two. I really want to watch the like edited version with both halves. I think it's called the whole bloody thing or whatever. Oh, I haven't seen that. I've just, anytime I wanted to do that, I just put both, I just watch one and then the the other one. Fair enough. But um, it's it's really good, especially when you watch it as two halves of the same movie, which I knew going in and that's what they did. But I didn't realize how much volume two felt like the second and third act. Because Uh in the first one, it's over the top and it's violent and there's like all the blood. And then in this, and then the second one, when she's actually tracking down Bill, it's much more realistic. Isn't the right word? Subdued. Subdued. Thanks. It's much more subdued. Um, yeah, but it kind of had to be though because well, yeah, I mean, like the first movie was mainly action, but the second movie you have to go back and tell the story because like you just got the rundown of like yeah you, you know you met the characters as she went after him. And you got a quick, like, exposition scene of, like, yeah, she was married, they killed her, blah, blah, blah. And then the second one was, as she's hunting him down, you get the story of, like, Bill and, um, it, like, Bill and his brother 
and how they came to be and why she's so badass and why nobody else likes her. So you kind of like, you need to kind of slow it down, but I feel like the action was in the, was in the beginning, not just because like, that's where it landed in the story, but like you said, it's the hook to make you want to finish it. Yeah, and plus, if you're going to have your big action scene where she takes down, where um, at the end of the first movie, she fights like a, a hundred people and she does all of the, uh, and she does all the action and flips and then cuts people's heads off. Uh, if you're gonna do that in the first movie, you can't up that in terms of the amount of action. So making it more dramatic, um, and changing up how she actually kills Bill uh, is, I mean, you have to do that. Otherwise, it's just the same movie again. Well, it's, it has dramatic action. I love Meaning, dramatic action. Yeah, so the first one is just action, but if you think about it, there's very little story in the first one. You can pretty much sum up the entire story of the first movie in like a sentence or two sentences. Sure, I can but I'll do that But the second right now. one... <laughs> The second one is where the meat of the story comes in. It's kind of like the Matrix and the sequels. The Matrix is like, here's an introduction to the world. Here's this one character that's special. That's all you need to know for right now. And then the second one comes along and is like, okay, now here's the story. Here's what's been going on. And people who are expecting like action, 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 were like, what? But people like me were like, whoa. <laughs> you said the life in the movie. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that makes sense. And seeing it as the se- I love. Okay, moving right along. The the I don't know the nurse's name. She's not you really. You know, you just she started just... like three different sentences right there, right? And you just kept going. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Oh. I have thoughts. Um, I love the fact that um that Beatrix was almost killed by some idiot, and the person, the woman that was hired to kill her, was super pissed. Oh, the um. Yeah, the um, the when, when the pregnancy scene. You mean in the second one? Um, in the second one, she was locked in a coffin. No, and... I, wait. Which one are you talking about then? Because I thought in you were the... talking about when um the hit woman came for her when she found out she was pregnant. Is that we talking about? Uh yeah, it's the same character. So she is it? No, I don't know. She oh, gets what are you... she's she almost gets killed a lot, but she went to yes. um, but she. Uh, was almost she was locked in a coffin and buried alive, yes. and then the guy that um, buried her alive was like, um, wasn't his had, name Bud? It was Bill's brother. Wasn't his name Bud? It's Michael yeah. Madison. Okay, yeah, it was Bill's brother. Yeah. Um, and she was super pissed that this guy probably killed Beatrix, um, because he is an idiot, and so. <laughs> He wanted her to bring a million dollars, I think it was a million, to buy a sword that was created by Hansel. their... Hansel. It's a Hattari yeah. Hansel. By that guy. Hattari <laughs> Hansel. You are not good with Asian words. <laughs> no. It's, it's a fatal flaw. But it's, you hear it in the movie, though. They say it multiple and, times. And you just said it just then. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm, and still okay (laughs) anyway that's so um that's a whole like side story where like the hatori hansu is more it's not just a regular blade it's supposed to be this like super special blade that's a thing of beauty and he doesn't make them all the time and as a matter of fact at the time 
like at the time in this point particular time in the movie he's already retired and now he's just running a sushi restaurant in uh, okinawa yeah. and she tracks him down and she gets him to make her her own special blade and he does and um when michael madsen finds her he sees the blade and so he buries her knowing she knowing full well she could easily get out of it or not easily necessarily uh, not easily. She, there's a she possibility could she could get out of it right so okay so not easily but he knows full well there's a possibility she could get out of it because he did remember he sat there with the shotgun because <laughs> so, oh, yeah, he knew yeah. she, like she could easily come back or she could she could potentially come back so again um, not easily that looked very difficult even for her yeah it was difficult but she could potentially come back and um and so he wanted money for the sword and um the but what he was i think he was selling his own sword and um, um he was going to keep hers cuz it's new no he I, I don't no he had bill's sword was it bill's which he it said that he got pawned off yeah he lied and said that he didn't have it anymore but he did yeah and um and that's oh that's right he was going to keep that one and he was going to sell her sword yeah, he was going to sell um, Beatrix's sword, but uh, the uh, assassin was super, super pissed that he's an idiot and wasn't worthy of killing her. So he, she attacked him with a snake. Why do you keep calling her the assassin? I forgot her name. <laughs> um, it Wasn't that Daryl Hannah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, when you say oh. the assassin, L I assume... What? L Driver. Okay. Um, when you say the assassin, I assume that you're talking about the woman who was going to kill her and the woman who came after when she was in the hotel room and she did the pregnancy kit and found out she was pregnant. And then, um, and the woman like came in and they, they, like she shot through the door and then they fought for a little bit. And then she showed her the, the pregnancy kit and she was like, look, normally I'd kill you, but I'm going to let you go. So you leave me alone. I'll disappear. You can tell them you killed me. We'll both fuck off and be fine. So every time you say the assassin, that's who I'm thinking you're talking about. And then I have to realize, like, oh, no, wait, you're not talking about her. Okay, L Driver, the nurse pirate. Nurse pirate. She's not a pirate. <laughs> she has a sword and wears an eye patch. I don't even think she's a nurse. No, she's just disguised as one. She just for... wore that to get into the hospital because she was going to check on, um, on the kid. Yeah, and um, she was going to kill Kiddo, and then Bill called her and was like, hey, not good sporting. Wait until she wakes up. And then they're like, oh, fine. But if she rips my out, I'm going to be so pissed. Right, because they knew. Yeah, it was Daryl Hannah. Elle Driver is the name of the character, but her, um, her actual name is Daryl Hannah. The actress is Daryl Hannah. Um, yeah, she had no idea she was going to take out her other eye. Which, by the way, I love the fact, I love the reason why everyone is so um, jealous of her. Because uh, Pai Mei, Pai Mei, that's his name. I think I said Pai Mei before. It's Pai Mei. Um, Pai Mei took a liking to her, which is hilarious because when she gets dropped off, he was like, you know, Bill is like, oh, he doesn't like Americans and he hates women. <laughs> like, and most of <laughs> so all, he hates white women. <laughs> and then he's like all right see you later <laughs> <Fucks off. laughs> oh great thanks and you could tell that he approved of her because he kept stroking his beard um i think that was just a thing of him 
like because he did that all the time but you could tell that he approved of her because number one he didn't poke her eye out i mean that'll uh, help that'll do it fairly good yeah, it's a fairly good indicator. Uh, and number two, he taught her the five-point exploding, five-palm, the five-palm? Five-point palm, five-point five exploding palm, that's what it is. Five-point exploding palm trick. Yeah, which is, holy fuck. Okay, yeah. so th that is, um, whew, that's torturous. Uh, so the trick is that you, you do a thing and then you, to their heart, and then they take five steps and then on the fifth step, they die. Yeah, it's uh, it's based on dim mock, uh -huh. which is a martial art principle of like disrupting the um, disrupting the flow of chi in the body. And um, like there are Jet Li movies that are really funny where like he, I think it was Once Upon a Time in China. I don't remember. Anyway, um, he, he would walk up to somebody, like somebody would use dim mock on his mom because they, like, they were all fighting. They were doing like wushu fighting. Somebody used a mock on his mom and she'd be frozen in place. And then she'd be like, argh, argh. and then he'd have to run over to, he'd have to stop fighting who he was fighting, run over to her, do the mock on her again to get to unlock her. And then she could start fighting again. And then somebody would do it again. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's based on that. Um, yeah. And of course the best part is finding out that even Bill never got to learn it. And it got to the point where Bill thought it was a myth. He's like, oh, it's just a legend. Because I mean, that would be obviously he would have taught him. Duh. <laughs> and if he doesn't tell it, teach him, why would he teach uh, anyone else? Especially a woman, especially an American woman, and especially a white American woman. Because remember, I... he hates them. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, that was the best. That was the best bit. It was just like, yeah, he'll teach you. I mean, he hates everything about you, but you're you're good. Yeah. So, oh fuck, it's funny. <laughs> um, so, did you like the Superman analogy at the end that uh, Bill gave? Oh, uh, what specifically did he say? I forget. There was a lot that was happening. You don't remember? No, I don't. There's a lot of things. Didn't you just watch it like yesterday? Yes, but I also watched Jackie Brown. Uh, uh, uh. Um, he was when at, when they were like in the middle of their like fight, and he stopped it. Like, like he called a truce to make a sandwich, and um, <laughs> he was talking about how um about how with Superman he's his favorite character because Clark Kent is his disguise. Clark Kent is what he saw, what he thought of the average man to be, and he was like weak. Wearing weak with bad vision, and um, and like you know, just just total like spineless idiot. Because the true his true self is Superman. So Clark Kent's the alter ego. Uh huh. Um, that's uh, that's really good. Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot that's happening. Quentin Tarantino um shows his influences, and he's really good at writing dialogue especially here's the thing with me with quentin tarantino mm -hmm. this movie like kill bill volume one and two wasn't so bad but most of his films i uh -huh. feel like i'm listening to quentin tarantino talk to himself i mean yeah that's it though it's like um like with kevin smith when kevin smith's characters talk they sound exactly like kevin smith and his friends on a podcast yeah but see at least with kevin smith they sound like he and his friends 
I literally feel like I'm listening to multiple variations of Quentin Tarantino talk to himself. Like I can very much, like there is, there is definitely a signature to the Tarantino dialogue. Like if, like if you want to train AI and you're like, Hey, AI, I want you to pop out a Tarantino script. AI could easily pop out like the next Tarantino masterpiece because his tone is so easily distinguishable and his, his words and his, the voice through the words. Like it's, it's very easy to discern, like, especially Pulp Fiction. Okay. Let's move on to Pulp Fiction because I think Pulp Fiction really nails home what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Where the, okay. So these people are doing, crimes and this over-the-top stuff but they're talking about like burgers and especially the feet thing because he has a feet thing and and they were does he have a feet thing or do you have a feet thing what are you talking about feet are gross but you're the one who notices a foot thing it's gross then why are you bringing up feet because he does constantly there's a scene in kill bill where she has to wiggle her big toe could be literally anything but nope, got to focus on them feet. So what do you think was in the briefcase? Um, his favorite light bulb. Uh, it, it's a MacGuffin. It doesn't matter what's in the briefcase. What matters is that they care about it. And I think that's the point of it. Podcast is not the right form for this because you can't see my facial expression right now. <laughs> I told How the, the uh, fuck do you watch Pulp Fiction and not have a theory about what's in the briefcase? That's the I main think- thing! I didn't think the point was what was in the briefcase. I thought that the you know why? That, that because you're too focused on feet. That's why. Shut the fuck up. It's you're, his sock collection. Go to paying attention to, You're paying attention to toesies and you're not speculating oh. on what's in the briefcase. I feel sick now. It's his favorite light bulb. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's a glowy. How do you see a, how do you see a briefcase open with a light coming from it <laughs> and it like mesmerizes everyone it's obviously not a diamond, and everybody's like, "Whoa!" And then people are like, "Is that what I think it is?" And I'm like, "Yeah," and not have a theory because I'm being meta. I um, you're being a dumbass. I because I already knew that no one knew what was in the briefcase before I went into it. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. By the time you watch movies, it, you've already had them deconstructed and torn apart so that you're just like watching it to see, to like have the experience of having seen it. Yeah, that's basically the thing with this one. Not with the others, but specifically with this one. It's just like this one has been analyzed to death and I'm like, cool. So what fun did you extract from Pulp Fiction? Uh, this, the dialogue itself felt very Tarantino-y and Tarantino has like like Tarantino has cameos in all of his movies, but this one is just like he's just playing a character in this as well. And uh, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta are weird and funny because they are talking about fucking burgers while they're planning on killing people, and they're super casual about it, which makes yeah. the characters mm, pulpy. I've got to figure yeah. out what pulp. What pulp actually means. Um, pulp fiction is from the term pulp fiction yeah. is from um, serials, uh, printed serials that are like sci fi or detective comics from like, I want to say the, or not comics, but like uh, printed materials from like, I think like the 50s or 60s. 
And um, the reason why they're called that is because they, the paper they were printed on is pulp. And it's, sci- it's like usually sci-fi, detective stories, shit like that. Hence pulp fiction. There were fiction stories printed on pulp paper. The, the poster looks like it as well. Um, this is yeah, based on, yeah, this is based on the detective side of it, even though they're criminals. And everyone here is an asshole. Uh, and I found it fine, but it's, I, I like the rest of it better. You wait, what? You found it fine, but you like the rest of it better? What do you mean? Yeah, I, the rest of his movies. I just don't like this as much. Oh. Pulp fiction? Yeah. I found Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards and Jackie Brown to be more interesting. I bet I know why. Because Pulp Fiction. It, and then it's not. Because Pulp Fiction feels like a Quarantino essay. It is. But that, again, that's not what's special about it. What's special about Pulp Fiction is, for one, it's the first mainstream movie in a long time to pull the um, nonlinear storytelling, where the sequencing is all over the place. And it really fucked up a lot of people when it came out. And I was like, it was really simple. Because it's like, you could, as you're watching it, you're like, oh, that was then, and this is da 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 And then at the end, you're like, oh, there, that's what happened. And a lot of people are like, wait, what? How is he at the end of the movie? We saw him get killed. It's like, no, that's the beginning of the movie. <laughs> so, and people didn't realize like the end is the beginning is the beginning is the, anyway. Um, so it's, to me, it's, it's circular. He started it here? What? Did he start that here? Cause he's done that in a few of his movies. Pulp Fiction was his second movie that he directed. The first one was Reservoir Dogs. Um, okay. So yeah, he's, he started it here. He didn't start the trailer. He's like the, not like the first director to ever do it. But it's the first time he did it in one of his movies. Um, and it and fell out of the main, uh, out of mainstream until Pulp Fiction did it. Yeah, Pulp yeah Pulp Fiction was the first one to do it on a scale like that. Um, actually, Pulp Fiction was like for all of your like oh this movie was made for like twenty bucks and a piece of string. That's pretty much Pulp Fiction's budget. And the only reason why he was able to get stars like Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta is because they weren't megastars yet. John Travolta had been a megastar, and th- this Pulp Fiction was his comeback. Um, Samuel L. Jackson was like a rising star. He was a star, but he, wasn't, he was like a B star. He wasn't an A-level star yet. And Pulp Fiction is what brought him up to that. Um, and is that Bruce Willis. He, is that why Sam Jackson is in all of Tarantino's movies, or at least quite a lot of them? Yeah, I was going to say, he's not in all of them, um, but he's in a lot of them. Um, no, it's the the reason why is because he just likes working with them. I mean, that's fair. So, um, yeah, there are some people who just like, like J.J. Abrams has that. He has like a few people that every single time they are in his movies, they're just friends of his. And whenever he's doing a movie, like they're going to have some kind of part. They don't necessarily need to be a lead. Maybe they're just a background character or maybe they're a supporting character. But you could, it's like, where's Waldo for J.J. Abrams? And some directors are just like that. Um, some directors are like, whatever crew they have, that's their crew. So anytime they direct a movie, they're not going to go with whoever the studio gives them. They're going to call their crew. So, um, and with Sam Jackson, he just really likes, he, he likes working with Tarantino. So he does, but Sam Jackson also does like 90 movies a year. Cause he's I mean, that's true. Movies. He's in everything. He is. Um, and he's in a movie that just came out, uh, on Apple TV. Uh, I think it's the banker. Um, yeah, so he's he's constantly working. Um, 
So pulp, with Pulp Fiction, what made it special was not only the nonlinear storytelling, but also how, well, it, it's the story that's being told, which is, if you think about it, why did John Travolta's character die and Sam Jackson's character live? He, he said that it was, um, he kept, maybe God was on his side. Because he kept Why do you think up, that? Because he kept bringing up um, that he was uh, bringing up uh, God and religion, and maybe it's like Blues Brothers, where the where it's impossible, but God, and that's the only explanation that you really need. Well, okay. I mean, he got shot, and the bullets went through him because you see the holes no. on the wall, and it's just like, how did how does that work? No, the bullets did not go through him. He didn't they get went shot. Around him? Yes. That okay. was that's what okay. So that is what you that scene is what happened. That's the difference between the two of them. So when um when the the shots went past him, they he didn't get neither one of them got shot. Because remember, like the guy comes out of the bathroom like spraying, and you're like bang, 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 bang. And then they, they look at him, then, you know, they raise their guns and shoot him. They look at each other. They look down at themselves. They look at each other. Then they look at him and kill him. And then um, Jules turns around and sees the holes. And he was like, did you see that? That's a can cannon. And he was like, that's divine intervention. We should have been dead. And uh, Vince was like, no, it was an accident. It's not necessarily God that's the difference between the two of them. It's the way they interpreted the situation. So from there, they are in the car. They kill the dude in the, in the back. And they go to Homeboy's house. An accident. That was, that was yeah. funny. And then, um, and then when they're done, they go, oh, and then while they're there, you know, they call Wolf. And uh, Mr. Wolf. And you, the whole time, you're noticing the difference in their demeanor. Like when they were at, um, when they were at Bonnie's house, when they were, you know, they cleaned up everything. And then when they went to clean themselves up, they had, like he said, they had the same amount of blood on their hands, but when he was done and he dried his hands, the towel was still clean. But then when Vince gets it and he dries his hands, the towel is completely red because he didn't bother to wash all the blood off of his hands before he started to dry them. And he, he kept saying things like, see, it's shit like this. That's going to make the situation come to a head. Basically, Benny was a hothead who it's, it's more than just he didn't believe in anything. It's the way it's his mentality, the way that he went after things. Okay. And um, a, a trope that is in this movie that you didn't mention, which amazes me because you noticed feet is um, the bathroom. I only noticed feet because people bring up feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't the bathroom. You. Benny, why would I notice feet? Because. Anyhow. Because what? Because there aren't. They don't even show them in the movie. They just talk about it. Yeah, it's just a story. I can't believe Anyhow, you didn't notice um, it. It, it. People talk about Tarantino it. a lot, and they always bring up the fact that he has a feet thing. Well, the difference between you and I is, I don't. I rather than hearing what other people hear, what other people say about it, I just watch the movies and then I form my own opinion. Well, and if I don't notice it, then I don't notice it. I'm not going to notice it. I'm like, I don't hear somebody else talk about a movie and then watch it i watch the movie first so if when i in watching the movie i'm gonna notice the things that i notice like for example vince always going to the bathroom i'm always yeah, being in the bathroom when shit pops off and um or the fact that um 
you know, Jules, like Jules's road to redemption. Jules is essentially Darth Vader in this movie. He starts out the evil bad guy, and then he decides at the end that he's going to take a different path. So if you put it in order, their breakfast that actually start that happens at the end of the movie is actually the middle of the movie because all everything happened where they went to the place and they you know they got shot at and then they killed a dude and they had to go to Bonnie's house and change clothes and everything and you know they met Mr. Wolf and then they decided to go eat breakfast and then after that they went on their way well Jules decided this is my like when he just when he gave um when he gave pumpkin the um the when he gave pumpkin his badass motherfucker wallet that was his decision to be done with this so he's like i can't remember he's like i can't give you this briefcase because it's not mine to give and he gives him the, the wallet and everything and he was like you know what i just bought i just bought your soul and he's like because normally i just kill you <laughs> and um and what he did there was he bought his own freedom so he went and met with Jules and was like, here's your, your briefcase. I'm done. I'm out of this life. Because he saw the, he saw the you know, being nearly shot as like an epiphany, a like a, a sign of redemption. And so he's mm -hmm. like, okay, so it's, it, that was his path to redemption is what we saw. Meanwhile, Vince was like, fuck that, whatever. And he kept working for, um, he kept working for, uh, what's his name? For uh, Marcellus. And then he ended up getting killed. Ironically, he ended up getting killed by Butch, who almost killed Marcellus himself. <laughs> so, and also almost got killed by Marcellus. It's, it's, everything's a circle. It all comes full circle. They're That's what connected. I like about the movie. Everything comes full circle. Yeah, they're all connected, but also like everybody, like everything plays out to its natural conclusion and it all comes full circle. So like that's why it's told in the manner that it is because the story is a circle. So that's yeah, like. that's what I think is special about it. It's pretty great, and we start with this um, robbery that's taking place, and then at the end, that's the is I I think that's the bathroom that John Travolta was in when he got shot. Yeah, because he came no. out of the. Did he no. come out of that bathroom? No. The he, he was in the bathroom during the robbery, but that was at the at the diner. The, yeah. When he got shot, was the diner? So the diner happened. If you were to do it, if you were to like rearrange it and do it in chronological order, oh, the diner do. scene is in the middle of the movie. Okay, that's what I was saying. Like that's what I mean by it's a circle. Okay, so um, if you want to tell it in chronological order, the beginning mm -hmm. of the day starts with the conversation of the Royale with cheese while they're on their way to this place. And then, you know, the whole conversation between the two of them. And then when they get there, um, you know, they get there and they get the briefcase. And of course he has, you know, he has a taste of that tasty burger. <laughs> and, and he takes the soda to wash it down. <laughs> and, um, and that's the first time we hear the Ezekiel 2517, the path <laughs> of the righteous man. Anyway, um, there's a lot of biblical references in this. Yeah, but if you actually look that up, that's not the reference. Oh, really? <laughs> totally made it? it up. I don't know. What, I don't remember what the real one is, but he totally like he he changed it for this. Um, but fun oh. fact that that reference or that uh, quote is on Nick Fury's tombstone in the MCU in Captain oh, America: Winter Soldier. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, if you actually look at the tombstone at the end of it, 
when they're looking down and he tells Cap, like, if anybody needs me, you can tell them, you know, find me right here. And they show the tombstone. It says, Nicholas J. Theory, Ezekiel 2517. <laughs> that's pretty good. The path um, of, holy shit. Yeah. Oh, that's, um, that's so, oh, it. Okay, so that was, so this happened. That's, and that's then um, at the same time, so, the, okay, so actually before that, so this is what's going on with like Jules and, um, and Vince. So before that, there was this, um, before that, Marcellus meets with Butch, who is down and out, and um, he tells him, hey, you need to throw this fight, and if you do, I'll hook you up, and I'll give you a bunch of money. If you don't, I'll fucking kill you. And so he agrees, and... I mean, you would. Then, yeah, he agrees. He has the fight, and he doesn't throw it. He wins the fight. Oh, I think he actually kills the guy. He kills the guy, and then he gets the fuck out of Dodge. And I mean, a nice yeah. taxi driver named Esmeralda takes him to the location that he's supposed to be at with his girlfriend because he had arranged this ahead of time. And his girlfriend forgot the one thing that he told her to get, which was the watch that Christopher Walken gave to him from his father that he had <laughs> kept safe by hiding it up his ass. And his no, father yeah, tried to do that, but died of dysentery. And oh. so that's like the one thing that he needed. Everything else, fuck it. He can buy more. But he needed that. That's the one thing. Um, also, Butch already took the money, by the way. So Butch took the money and then, you know, then killed the guy and then fucked off. So now he's got to get out of L.A. Because, you know, obviously Marcellus is going to find him. He's going to try to kill him. So that happened. And then... Um, Marcellus sends Jules and Vince to go get the briefcase, to go get this briefcase. And um, then after they, uh, you know, so then they take the kid in the car and of course, you know, Vince accidentally kills him. Like, oh damn, I killed Marvin. Um, and then, <laughs> That's, I, I love the and, fact that they, they did to shoot him. And then they're like, ah, oh, this is mildly inconvenient. Yeah. Um, so then they take, they go to, um, they go to Bonnie's house and while she's away, Bonnie's the nurse that is married to Quentin Tarantino and, um, she is at work, but she's coming home in like an hour or two. And so while he's there, while they're there, they're like, okay, what the fuck are we going to do? Because they're talking to Tarantino and he's like, yo, you can't leave, you know, you can't leave this body here. So then uh, Vince called, not sorry, not Vince, um, Jules calls Marcellus and tells him what happened. And Marcellus is like, okay. And Jules doesn't find that answer very acceptable. Jules is like, what you mean? Okay, motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, Marcellus was like, what do you want me to say? And Jules is like, I want you to say, be cool. The cavalry is on the way. And so Marcellus says, okay, chill, be cool the wolf is on the way. And he's like, well, goddamn, that's all you had to say. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite part uh -huh. was um, <laughs> the wolf is at a party. Of course, it's eight o'clock in the morning on like a Monday. So <laughs> of course he's in a tuxedo, you know, or he's in a, yeah, he's in a total cool. suit at a party that hasn't ended yet. I mean, honestly, it, that's, that, that's feasible in, in LA. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> He, you know, he's at a party that hasn't ended yet, and uh, he gets the call, and 
he takes down and he writes down all the information and he's like that's 30 minutes away i'll be there in nine minutes and then you see the car pull up and stop and it's like 858 859 bing <laughs> and, it just stops. and i was like that is it i, I want to grow up to be that when i grow up. <laughs> that was awesome and then he comes in and he's just like okay and he's like super smooth he's like you know drinking the coffee this is some delicious coffee <laughs> and he's all chill and everything and he's like okay here's what we're gonna do and da 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 and blah 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 and then um after they clean up and the wolf was like wolf gives them um gives vince the keys and he was like if you fuck up my car we're gonna be burying two bodies <laughs> and he's like i drive real fucking fast so keep up and um <laughs> And, and I love how just nonchalant he is about the situation. He's like, okay, so we have a headless body in this car. Okay. And he's just like, cool, he's just cool, taking cool. it in. Like, okay, strawberries, you know, grapes. Okay. Like, he's just saying it like normal, right? And, um, and then afterwards, they, um, after they, they discard the body and the car, that's when he was like, you know, I'm going to take Joe's daughter to breakfast. And then Benny and Jules decide to go to breakfast. And they end up in this diner that Pumpkin and Honey Bunny have decided to rob. Pumpkin and Honey So honey. while Vince is taking a shit again, mm-hmm. <laughs> while Vince is taking lot. a shit, yeah, um, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny come in and decide to rob the place. And, or they, you know, they don't come in. They're already there, but they step up and they're like, all right, everybody, this is a robbery. If any of you motherfuckers moves, I'll execute every motherfucking one of you. And then, of course, the music starts, which is technically the beginning of the movie, but we're, this is, we're going chronological. Okay. Thank so you. at this point, uh-huh. Jules is still, uh, not Jules, sorry, Vince. Vince is still in the bathroom and Jules is just sitting there because he's like, remember, he just witnessed the miracle like a couple hours ago. So he's like, I shouldn't be here. Now, normally he just kill both of them and walk out. But because he witnessed that miracle, he's had a change of heart. That's what that whole conversation they were having is when he was yeah. like, you know, they were talking about like, would you eat a pig? I'm like, no, like, why don't you eat pork? He's like, I don't eat pork. I don't eat pig. And then, um, <laughs> and then like, would you eat a dog? No. Why not? Because the dog's got personality. <laughs> what about pig? It had to be one charming motherfucking pig. Anyway, <laughs> um, so all, you know, they have this conversation and they also have the like, didn't you see those bullet holes? Like, we should have been dead. And he was like, eh, I could have, should have, would have, whatever. So the, the, <laughs> diverging, the diverging thoughts is what takes them on their different paths, okay? So yeah. then when it comes their time to give up the case and Jules like, I can't give you the case, but get it reaching that wallet and there's like $3,000 in there between that and you know between that and everything else you've taken that's a pretty good haul and not only that but i'm letting you live so get the fuck out of here <laughs> and he and the whole speech where he's like you know i'm i'm buying something i'm paying i'm letting you live because basically what he's buying is he's buying his own redemption and Clever. he's decided like he's done meanwhile vince was like that was fucking stupid i would have just killed him and he didn't remember he didn't let him kill him so then after the robbery, they get in their cars, they go home. Vince goes home, or um, Jules go, Vince and Jules both go home. Then at this point, Jules is out of the situation because Jules has retired. He's fucked off. Okay. But Vince is still, so what, what Jules does is he goes and returns the case to uh, Marcellus and then and he's done. What Vince does is he continues to work for Marcellus. 
And the next job, and then um, the first thing Marcellus tells him is to, um, you know, he had to go out of town. So he tells him to look after his wife, who's in the Thurman. So then you get that whole scene where you get that whole situation where he's taking her on a date and he looks at himself in the mirror and he's like, can you jack off, eat a Twinkie, go home. <laughs> and um, and um, then, of course, she, you know, she takes his drugs and overdoses and then he's got to take them to Eric Stoltz's house and she comes back to life and that was all that all that shit was crazy and then he drops her off she tells the stupid ass catch-up joke and then he goes home and hopes that she never tells her husband anything that happened <laughs> and then the next time we see him he is told by Vince to go or not Vince sorry by Marsalis he's told by Marsalis to go hunt down Butch and the way he hunts down Butch is he goes to his apartment and he just sits there in case he comes back. I mean, and, that'll do it. Yeah, and then um, and he goes to the bathroom again. And while he's in the bathroom, Butch comes back. And of when course, Butch yeah. comes back, yeah, when Butch, um, you know, Butch just, went, so he fucked up because before he went to the bathroom, he put Pop-Tarts in. And, uh, or no, sorry, it was Butch, sorry. Butch was there, Butch put Pop-Tarts in. And then, um, he when he was done with the bathroom he flushed and that let butch know like oh one of marcellus's dudes is here and he grabs the shotgun and as soon as he opens the door butch blows him away that's the end of vince yeah so Butch, however keeps going and he's like that's how they you know that's how you're gonna get away with this they just keep on underestimating you and he leaves thinking oh sweet i'm gonna get away scot-free and as he's walking across the street, or no, sorry, as he's um, as he's driving away, he looks up, and who does he see? Marcellus Wallace, motherfucker. He thinks he's scot free, and here's Marcellus crossing the street with some donuts. And so, of course, he hits him, and then that whole fight ensues. And then you've got, you know, <laughs> you've got bring out the gimp happening, and the oh, crazy yeah, that, ass rednecks and shit. That entire fucking scene. Yeah. Fuck? Yeah. And then when that finishes, you know, of course, they, because, because here's the thing, he was, he got, he could have gotten out and left, but he decided to go back and save Marcellus. Because he saved Marcellus, Marcellus is like, is your get out of jail free card. You saved my life. You are never, ever going to mention anything that happened. I'm about to kill these motherfuckers. After I torture the shit out of them, you got to leave L.A. Like, you've lost your L.A. privileges. So, basically, he has to save face and make it seem like he killed him. So, he's like, you are not allowed to return to L.A. ever again. And Butch is like, gotcha. No problem. I can live with that. And then he goes back <laughs> to his girlfriend. And so, of course, by now, like, his, he wrecked his car trying to, hit, um, trying to hit Marsalis. So, he ends up taking Zed's chopper because Zed doesn't need it because that mofo dead. So, <laughs> Zed's <laughs> dead. 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 Zed's dead. Um, so he goes and gets his girlfriend, then they fuck off. And I think that's the only, yeah, that's, the, that's all the stories. It's just that the way they tell it is like, it, like I said, it's circular. But the reason why is because you're clearly seeing the effect. You see the effect first and then you find out the cause. So it's you, clever. It's, it's, it's nonlinear because it's, you know, it's, it's all circular. Um, but that's, that's why I was like, well, when you, when you straighten it out and you go like, you know, one, two, three of how the events happen, it makes perfect sense. That's fair. Tarantino, um, does Tarantino do different styles in all of his movies? 
Uh, or does he do similar styles? I mean, he's still him. So yeah, he's still him. He does it's... Tarantino movies. I think I described him as B movies with a budget. It's, yeah, but most of his movies didn't have an A budget though. He didn't really get the A budget till after Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, I think, was made with like ten million dollars, like legit, because it 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 didn't cost very much. Um, yeah. And then once once Pulp, once it made its money back and then some, like tenfold, then studios were like, "Hey, what's up? Hey, we know we gave you like twenty bucks for Reservoir Dogs, and you pretty much funded <laughs> Pulp Fiction yourself." But now um, everybody likes you, so we're gonna go ahead and give you like a mint. Can you just print money for us? Then so. he's like, "Sure, but I'm right. not going. But I'm going not going to make like mainstream movies. That would be stupid." And he's like, "Yeah," and then like, I mean, I guess he's not a mainstream person. No, he's not. He wanted to. I think there was uh, news that he wanted to make a Star Trek movie, and I'm like, that doesn't sound like him. Ah. Uh... And I don't know. I remember hearing about that, but I don't know whether it was that he wanted to do it or other people wanted him to do it. Uh, it might be that the studio asked him, but he, but that didn't happen regardless. And now there's well, like here's a new the TV thing. show. You know that, that he's got the 10 movie thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he that's said why. That he wanted to make 10 movies, but he also said that Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 does, only counts as one movie. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, so, so he's cheating, basically trying to make it to yeah. make an extra movie. Yeah, he's moving the bar, and then, and like, I don't trust filmmakers like this that that say I'm only making this amount of movies because they'll just be like, like five years later they're like, all right, I know I said that, but I have an idea, <laughs> right? Um, and it yeah. does it count with writing as well because he no. wrote movies. If like, you go by wrote, writing, he's done more than ten already. Because he wrote, um, was it California and True Romance? And he also helped, um, he's friends with Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. So he helps him, like he's co-written a lot of his movies. Well, not a lot, but he's co-written a few movies with him. Hang on. Like, um, um, you said what that was he it, was... Death Proof? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Death Proof is a movie. Um, so according to Letterboxd, uh, Letterbox, he's acted in 60 movies. Um, he's written 19 He's produced yeah. 18 and he's directed 15. 15? Yeah. What are the 15 they have? Um, or are they talking about like partial directs too? Because he's done like four rooms where he directed a vignette, but they, he didn't direct the whole movie. I mean, that's true. So the, so the ones that he, they've got is uh, My Best Friend's Birthday from 1987. Yeah, that doesn't count. Reservoir Dogs in 1991. Yes. And Reservoir Dogs again in 1992. No, he only directed it once. That's what I mean. Like, that, no, he's oh, not okay. 15. Okay, good. So some of these are short films. Reservoir Dogs started off as a short film, and then he's like, all right, I'm going to make it into a full movie. So some of these are short movies. There's a movie called Four Rooms. That's what I was just talking about. That He didn't direct that movie. That's what I'm, that's what I just said. He didn't direct it. He directed like vignette. So, so four rooms is it was like an experiment with a bunch of um, people in Hollywood. They were like, "Hey, what if a bunch of different writers and a bunch of different directors worked on one movie?" And that's what four rooms is. Okay, and um, this one's okay. And the rest is like uh, he de- did the movie Grindhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also which again, said- I think. He isn't that a co-directing with the uh, 
Yeah. With Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. That's Planet what I'm talking about. And yeah. um, Death Proof. And the rest is. Yeah. Uh, and that's the. So that's one, two, three. See, four. That, but that's what I mean. And like, I don't count two, four rooms or Grindhouse. Neither does he, apparently. Uh, and yeah. then well because they're co-directing he didn't direct yeah. it's not like again four rooms he directed like a vignette he did not direct the whole movie so he you can't count that as him directing the movie and with grindhouse so. he was like co-directing with robert rodriguez and the they're other like co-directed two, and co-wrote fair enough and the other two is death proof on its own and kill bill the whole bloody cut which are just the same movie yeah so, so yeah like i said he's at nine uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pop Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume One and Two. He said is one movie. Um, Inglorious Bastards. So he's at eight. Django Unchained, Unchained, uh, The Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So he's yeah. at eight if you count. Um, if you count. If you count Kill Bill, Kill Bill, is, Kill Bill Volume One and Two as one movie. Yeah, which he does. Okay, so then he's got two more movies before he retires. Mm-hmm. for about six months and then he'll come back nah i mean he's he's getting up there and it's not like he's poor he could he could retire right now if he wanted to i mean true. he's just if, he's just gimmicky enough that i think he would actually do it i think he would actually stop at 10 and then just do more like four rooms and grindhouse situations where like and he just co-directs and continues yeah. writing and he could produce and write movies that's not part of his gimmick right it's the the whole his whole thing is directing 10 movies on his own yeah and by that list he's at eight so yeah yeah i didn't know that it's interesting that reservoir dog started off as a short film it makes sense because it well like i said he made that on his own before that was it was one of those movies where like you do it you take it to like cans or like um um uh like tiff or you know One something like that and you try to get a distributor yeah you try to get a distributor i think actually at the time like sundance was like the big one back then and um and if somebody likes it they're like oh yeah we'll give you you know we'll be your distributor and we'll give you like you know 10 more bucks and then he with that he was able to like finish it basically or like redo it i guess you could say like tweak it yeah so that's why they um, technically gave him but i still i just saw it as like one was like his film festival entry and then one was like the finished product. So I just counted it as one movie. Or so to say, he clearly counts yeah. from Reservoir Dogs uh, and nothing yeah. that he co-directs. His movies. Right. He said, he also said that if he did Star Trek, it wouldn't count to his uh, total movies, but that's stopped anyway. I, I think it was a studio that stopped that because they wanted to do a TV shows. Because this was before Discovery. Now they got Discovery and Picard out. So I think they're focusing more on TV now. Hmm. Anyway. So yeah, glad you... All right. right. So does it make more sense now to see it, like to have hear it told in a linear fashion? It it makes a lot more sense. Okay. So um, what what was it? You said you saw you... um, Oh, oh, you saw Inglorious Bastards, right? Yeah. Okay. Um... This is awesome. It's it's total American um, Americanness. Where what? It, yeah, it, it's what if America was in the war and then were the heroes of the war all by themselves. Um, but also 
it's they're taking down Hitler. So you and I can forgive like anything that is because people do that all the time where they make movies where they take down Hitler. So they do that, but also since Hitler is a non-threat because of how awesome America is, they have this other Nazi that is actually extremely scary. And I, I forget, I forget the name, uh, Hans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hans is terrifying. There's an opening scene, uh, with the, these Jewish people hiding under uh, hiding and it's terrifying. So they have <laughs> this really scary, um, Nazi villain in a perfectly directed, directed opening scene to show how evil he is. And it's, it's just so good. What do you think is good about it? Um, I think all the uh, I think the Inglorious Bastards, the characters, are um, are great. They're fun. This entire movie is really fun. They they fucking carved swastikas into people's foreheads, and they made a deal to try to kill Hitler. It- so you think it's great to carve swastikas into people's foreheads? Yeah. Hmm. Well, Nazis. They're Nazis. I mean- so fuck them. Yeah, see, that's the thing. You gotta be specific because if somebody's gonna quote my New Year's from now, they're gonna be like, he said, like, you could never be a politician because somebody could be like, hey, this Ew. guy once said that he wants to carve swastikas in people's foreheads. And you'd be taken out of context. You gotta specify. You gotta specify. Be specific. I just don't so like the idea do that I'd become not- a politician. Oh. That's just well, gross. Um, there's a scene, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I feel like one of the movies that these people are filming is Inglorious Bastards, at least from the trailer I saw. I don't know. What? I didn't see it. Uh, Inglorious Bastards. I haven't seen um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, oh, you in- haven't seen Once Upon a Time? Oh, okay. Because no. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I, th- I saw from the trailer that they were, f- I saw from the trailer that they were filming a movie in which a bunch of people. Uh, kill Nazis, and I'm like, that's at least got to be a nod to this. No, that was um, it was a, it was just a movie that the, the uh, his character was doing. Okay, honestly, I did not like um, <clears throat> what the fuck was it? Once upon a time, Masters, the other one. Yeah, once, once upon a time in Hollywood. I, I think that it was all hype and was an okay movie at best. A lot um, of people are like, oh my god, it's so awesome, Tarantino's back. And I'm like, that movie was boring as fuck. Well, and it had a lot of shit that I'm just like, why? Why? Why was that in there? It's a shame that you didn't like it, but but Tarantino's movies are bound to get overhyped because it's Tarantino and people are excited about it. I, yeah. I, find, I find it... Also, it was right on the heels of uh, DiCaprio's Oscar win. True. Is that the that one where... Also- he he got the Oscars got pissy because they made he made fun of Titanic uh, and the Oscars and so they didn't give him an Oscar until he had to sleep in a bear. I don't know how that movie went. Glorious Revenant. Yeah. Mm, okay, well, that's an interesting depiction of what happened, but you know, sure. Anyhow, <laughs> so Inglorious Bastards. What did you like? Um. So aside from carving swastikas you know, in people's heads, uh, you know how. Um, people overhype Tarantino. 
Um, and sometimes, so I don't want, I don't want people to think that I think Tarantino is overhyped because that's not what I'm saying. I'm okay, saying well, I'm... one film in particular, which was, um, once upon a time in Hollywood, that one particular film I feel was all hype and pretty much not, you know, not, not much substance. That's what I'm saying. Do people always? So I don't think like Tarantino in general is overhyped. I just think okay. that one particular film was. All right, because all, all his films are hyped up, but that was the one that didn't that fell short of the hype. To me, yeah. To me, like when I saw the trailer, I didn't even want to see it. I didn't particularly care for it. I ended up seeing it because I had a bunch of movie passes and I had seen all the movies in the theaters, and I was like, "Fuck it." I haven't seen this yet. That's why I ended up seeing it. I didn't like, I didn't go see it because I was like, Ooh, that new Tarantino film. Like, no, it was like, I've literally seen everything else. May as well. I mean, that's how I ended up seeing it. And then even with that in mind, when I came out of it, I was like, I would have rather not seen it. I was right. (laughs) That's a shame. Well, but it's, it's not to say that like, that's everybody's opinion. That's, that's not the mainstream opinion. That's just mine. Um, Tarantino is he's he's very earnest because even though people over can uh, get excited about everything that he does, um, and most of the stuff he does is good, if not great. Um, most of the stuff he d- does is great. Who am I kidding? Um, he when whenever he talks, um, I listen to interviews. I listen to interviews before we were doing the podcast. And whenever mm-hmm. he talks, he's he's just he always he's always very earnest. And I I get the feeling that he doesn't know why people like the movies he makes. And he's just like I'm just doing stuff, and people like him. He has that kind of attitude, which I respect, because that means that he's not because that means that he's not the kind of person, and he's obviously not the kind of person that will change his style based on what people think. But I it it. I don't know, it works. He doesn't seem to have, at least publicly, doesn't seem to have that big of an ego, even if he does. It's just like... He does, I'm, it just depends on the interview that you watch. I mean, um, that's fair. He's, he definitely does have an ego, but it's... Um, here's the thing. I think the thing that a lot of people like about him is that he... You know how people are always like, oh, you got to follow your dreams, dude. You got to do the thing. What's the one thing that you would do? If you weren't getting, like, like you would do for free, if you weren't getting paid, the thing that you love to do. He actually does that. He actually, he loves movies. He lives for this shit. He, he takes everything in and he puts it on the page or he puts it on the screen and he's excited about movies. So that enthusiasm shows. And that enthusiasm is like palpable. And if you watch him talk about movies, he's like excited. He's like, it's so awesome. And then he's like, he just puts out a movie that he wants to see. And then people are like, hey, I want to see that. And he's like, you do? And yeah, Yeah. so it's it's like that enthusiasm. That's the vibe I got from him as well. Yeah. Um, Um, But he definitely, like, he was more like that when, like, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and even Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Every movie he does, he gets less like that and a little more ego. Okay, that's fair. I think I watched, um, aside from the one where he was talking about movies that he liked, 
Um, I watched I watched uh, interviews from when the when uh, these movies were coming out. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So you were watching like the older movies, older yeah, interviews. I was watching the yeah. older interviews. Uh, it's interesting, indeed. Uh, Inglorious Bastards is um, it's wait, say that again. No, I refuse. Why not? Because what? Wait. you're just you're just making fun of me. What do you what? Damn. <laughs> oh shit, I gotta hide it better next time. <laughs> Cause you you don't say like I was listening and instead of saying Inglorious Bastard, you said Inglorious Bastards. It was the Fuck most it. British thing uh, ever. <laughs> so I was like, wait, rewind that? Say that again? I refuse. Uh, I'm probably gonna listen to that part like four times when I replay this. I'm gonna edit uh, it out. Times. We won't have any context. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit that specific line. But nothing else. Inglorious bastards. <laughs> oh, go to hell. Ah. Ah. It's funny. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> you're talking about the bastards that were inglorious. <laughs> you're not going to talk about them? I'm waiting. Waiting for what? For you. Good. You good? Yeah. All right, cool. So these bastards. Ha. Um. Uh-huh. They are, it's, it's just puffy and fun and silly. And also, but like combine that with a villain so dark and evil that you just, you just want to rip his head off. And so okay. with, with the villain being so evil and he won, which is weird because he got everything he wanted. And yeah, he, he got the, fucking um uh, sticker in his forehead but like i still that's i mean that's good but he got away with being just the worst and yes he, he, they, he tarantino did a great job in creating a villain that is just so hateable <laughs> well also christoph waltz did an excellent job playing such a hateable villain. oh good point christoph waltz is perfect he's he's just He's just a slime ball. He's just he's just so <laughs> slimy, and he he's like it it mm. like in the movie Hitler is this like overarching threat. He's controlling all the Nazis, uh, everything, and they they want to kill him. But Christoph Waltz as um as uh, Colonel Hans is just it's just the worst. He's just I just want to punch his teeth in. Okay. Why do you want to punch his teeth in? Oh, just he just makes me angry. He everything, he, all his lines, uh, everything, his attitude, his the fact that he does not give a shit. Everything about him just makes me hate him. It's perfect. <laughs> you hate him. It's perfect. Well, he is a villain. You're meant to hate him. Yeah. But you use a lot of oxymorons, and it's just funny. Yeah, my entire life is an oxymoron. Okay, then. Does that make sense? I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, you can't remember. Okay. The, you, you want, do you have anything about Inglourious Bastards? Uh, uh, my favorite part about it was, um, was Michael, um, Michael Fassbender's character. The way that they easily caught that he was uh, American. Oh yeah, little that, details like that. That's great, and it's also true. Um, what? 
it's also true the the, uh the way he did the thing yeah so americans count and i didn't know that other countries didn't do this but americans count starting with our fingers we don't use our thumb until we get to five we count with our index finger to our pinky so one two three four um if we're assuming four it starts with our index going to the pinky if it's three then you take you put down the pinky if it's two you put down the ring finger and if it's one it's just the index finger other people specifically germans start with the thumb and so one is just a, one is thumbs up basically two is thumb index finger and then so on and so on and when he says three and he holds up index finger middle finger ring finger that's an american three a german would have the ring finger down and the thumb up to yeah, explain like, what we're talking about there's a youtube series i think it was i think it's wired that does it where they interview people that have specific mm-hmm. jobs and they show them movie scenes and have them talk about them and they brought in someone who used to be a spy and they were talking about the importance of knowing small details about the culture that you wouldn't think of yeah um well it's just like when we were talking it, about donnie brasco yeah like you've got to know you have to live the life or else you're gonna die because somebody um, any little thing any little tell will give you away yeah it um it's stuff like that that even even though like the premise is inherently silly and it's it's little things like that that make it that let you know that this is very clever even if it wants to be like let's have a bunch of americans kill hitler why because sounds like fun um and then I mean, you were the one who wanted to put schwarzeneggers in nazis heads so I mean, why wouldn't it sound like fun to kill hitler you make it sound like me wanting to kill hitler is a bad thing no i said you you just said it would be fun like it'd be fun to kill hitler and i'm like well you made the case for it earlier so mm. so um but i like that they have that they have that as the premise but they take it seriously but not too seriously it's it's a good mix um this is probably is it it might be what i think this is his best movie at least in terms of inglorious bastards yeah in terms of filmmaking at least yeah okay because it feels like a real war movie uh, yeah that's it the premise is inherently silly but it feels like a real war movie and you have a villain that's just that's just made of slime he's like a snake covered in slime that you just 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 punch his fucking teeth in that's the best performance um i yeah i wouldn't consider this his best movie but i mean what, what is his best movie it's not, it's not bad i'm not, i wouldn't say it's bad i i liked it i just don't think it's his best um well i, I honestly think he's well, i'm really into war movies as well so there's that well there, there's that yeah that's why because you're into war movies um you would you might like once upon a time in hollywood you'll probably you'll definitely like it better than i did uh probably i'm nearly positive about that um yeah, because I thought it was just a waste of time. Um, I mean, it was... Uh, I don't... Do you want to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I, sh- I haven't struggle seen to it. say... Okay, I can't say that it was good. I definitely won't say that it was good. But I, I can't say specifically that it was bad, just that I didn't care for it. 
So like the case could be made that it was good if you it's a it's a totally subjective thing. If you liked it, obviously you were like, oh, that was good. But if you're like me and you were like, that was a waste of time, then obviously you don't think it was good. So and I'm not the only one, by the way. I've talked to many people who thought the same thing, and they were like, "Why the hell was everybody talking that movie up? Like that movie was nothing." And I'm like, "Thank you." I I don't I don't know. Um, like it's obvious that you didn't like it. That's obvious. But my question is, um, is it the hype around it? Do you do you get why people would like that movie, and it's just overhyped because it's Tarantino? Yes and no. Um, okay. No, it's not. The reason why I didn't like it had nothing to do with the hype. Well, I know that, that's not. I know. I know why you didn't like it. But you do you get why other people would like it? But it, it's overhyped. Wait, why or, did I not like it? You, why? Okay, first of all, why didn't you like it? Secondly, do you understand why other people would like it? And third, is um, do you not get why it was overhyped? This third question is pretty much the first. Okay, so wait, you said you know why I didn't like it. Why do no. you think I didn't like it? No, why didn't you like it? You Okay, why didn't I like it? Yeah. Um, it was, the pacing wasn't great. Um, it was just, the, the story was nothing burger. It, it was boring and I just didn't care. Um, the story was, do you, wait, do you want me to tell you or do you want to just wait to see it? Because you haven't seen it yet. Hmm? Oh, no, I don't care. Okay, so the the whole story is it's it's in the vein of Inglorious Bastards, where it's revisionist history, which is what that's called. Like when you you take a historical event, but then you put your own twist on it and you tell like you rewrite it. Um, in this case, the revisionist history is on the Manson family, or the, the Manson murders, um, and the the actual story of the movie itself is Leonardo DiCaprio is an aging actor and his best friend is another aging actor who's actually a stunt double and he's a hothead that is pretty much so I think of him as an asshole but a lot of people are like no man that's Brad Pitt he's super hot I'm like whatever his character's still an asshole um so um an asshole and be hot look at Chris Evans and his entire career except for Captain America he wasn't an asshole in most of his movies. He most was, of his he, movies, he's a good guy. I mean, he plays an asshole. He plays an asshole in like three movies. Yeah, but he's good at it. Out of like he needs to do it 50. more. Anywho, um, so uh, the reason why I say his character is an asshole is because, okay, so there are a couple of reasons. Number one, because on set, the, so he got banned from being, um, from being able to be Leonardo DiCaprio's stunt double because on set, he's an asshole. And he like intentionally pisses off the higher ups and like the casting directors and the director and they're like, it's fuck off the set. And so, um, so since he can't work as a stunt double, he's working as uh, his handyman. And like, he doesn't seem like an asshole in his normal life, but then tell me why this scene is even in there. So they have somebody playing Bruce Lee, like he's supposed to be playing Bruce Lee. Oh, people got pissed um, about this. Is this Yeah, because it's a stupid ass scene. Um, so and also, there's it, no fucking reason for it to be in here except to show that like I, okay i'll tell you why after i explain it so right. um brad pitt is on set for like so in order to be on this set because remember he was already like banned leonardo dicaprio had to get on his knees and kiss so much fucking ass to get him even on the fucking set 
for them to allow Brad Pitt to be there to be his stunt double. Because they were like, nope, fuck that guy. I hate him. And um, and I, I think what he does is like he goes after, he went after um, the director's wife. And so the guy is like, no, fuck him. And, um, and so, and yeah, the director's wife is kind of a bitch, but she's also the director's wife. So you just kind of have to put up with it. And she's not that big of a bitch. Like there are worse bosses. And he's just a dick to her. He's just like, he's an ass. And so he pisses her off enough that she's like, I don't want him anywhere near the set. And so the director's like, he's got to listen because that's his wife, right? So um, he's on set and he's fucking around. He's a stunt double, right? So his whole thing, like he's not an actor. His whole thing is he's supposed to be this like rough and, and tough, you know, rugged dude who gets beat up all the time. And he's the one who gets actually, you know, actually throw, gets thrown through glass and shit. And um, they weren't shooting anything. And he decides to pick on Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee was like, yeah, like, you know, I can, you know, I'm a, I'm a martial artist and I can, you know, do this and that. And then he was like, oh, I don't need all that shit. I just beat the shit out of you. And so they end up fighting and he beats Bruce Lee. Aren't, like, what the fuck? Like, there, and there's the only reason that scene is in there is to show that he's so, you know, some big badass and he's like rough and tough. And I'm like, you couldn't have fucking done that without try- besmirching the legend of that a real person. So annoying, and really, we that's really annoying. And, and he does it in like a barbaric way, so where like Bruce Lee has technique, and he comes at him, and then all he does is just like hits him with a car door or something, like stupid shit like that. That's like, really it's, stupid. It's total bronze. It's like brain versus brawn, but brawn wins for no apparent reason except to show that like, oh, isn't he awesome? No, he's not awesome. The second reason why he's an asshole is because so all of that was just one reason why he's an asshole the second reason is because as he's driving through la it's like the 60s right as yeah. he's driving through la he sees this girl and um she's like walking and everything and then and um at this time they were like you know hippies would come down from like communes and try to get work or something or you know try to like get some money you know try to get something and then they would go back to their commune. And so that's what this girl was doing. And he picks her up. He sees her a couple times. Finally, he picks her up and he decides to take her to the compound and he's talking to her and he acknowledges in the conversation that he knows she's under 18 and he's fucking Brad Pitt. He's, he's the age he is. He's in his fifties. Right. And he acknowledges that like, Oh, she's a kid. And she's like, Oh, suck your dick. I'll do this. And he does it. He doesn't, he doesn't like he doesn't do anything with her, but he doesn't say no. And he actually does take her to the compound and then he goes in and you're like, Oh, you're just a slime ball. And then the reason why the main reason why nothing happens with her is because she just so happens to the compound that she's on just so happens to be on what used to be a back lot, and this lot was owned by a guy that he knows. And here's another plot point that doesn't fucking go anywhere. The only, okay. Again, the only thing this serves is to tie together the end, to tie together the, the different elements of the story and put it all together. But it doesn't fucking go anywhere. So you spend all this time on this fucking ranch, and um, he's like, I got to see the dude, like this old dude that used to, that owns the lot. And it's just a bunch of hippies that are like, oh, no. And they clearly do not want him to see this guy, right? They're like, no, no, no. Like, like oh, he's asleep. Like, they keep making up these, like, super lame excuses. And he's like uh-huh and he goes right past him to see him 
And they even said, they were like, yeah, well, you know, he's taking a nap because he wants to watch a TV show later. Because it's like the middle of the day. And I was like, what so the fuck is he taking a nap right now? And, and um, they were like, well, he likes watching the TV show. And he wants to be awake for that. So he takes a nap right now. And, and he's like, well, we'll wake him up. And they're like, no, 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 he'll get grumpy. And he can't see you anyway because he's blind. And so it sounds like they're just making up like excuse after excuse after excuse, right? Right. And then he barges through. And no, it turns out he actually was taking a nap and he is blind and they do have his permission to stay there. And all that was for nothing. That sounds like a like, waste. It was. And then after that, you go back, you're like, okay, well, all right. And then he goes back to, um, he, he, he get, okay. So the story, the main, so that was all Brad Pitt's part, right? Or not all of it, but that right. was the part of it. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is, like I said, he's an aging actor and um at first you think that the reason why he's not getting very many roles is because he's old like he's getting older and people just you know people want somebody younger newer and hip no it's because he's an alcoholic yeah he is getting older but the reason he's not getting roles is because he's an alcoholic and he keeps fucking up on set and he'll do things like forget his lines or act the damn fool and so they're like, yeah, we're not going to put him, like, nobody's going to carry liability of him for a full-on movie. So he's just getting, like, cameos and TV shows. He actually had a TV show, but he fucked that up, too. So he's trying to revive his career without actually putting down the bottle. And um, then he ends up getting a shot at a movie, and this little girl is uh, playing another character. And this little girl is, like, a serious character she's she's a method actor but she's like super serious and um he's like so when they're on a break she's like reading to like study because she's you know trying to get more in character and he's just trying to talk to her as like actor to actor and she's like no like uh-uh, i'm staying in character and so you could see that this like seven-year-old girl is more professional than him uh-huh and he like takes a cue from that of like oh i'm so pathetic and then he spends like half the movie like down on himself and he's like crying about it and like like spiraling more into like an alcoholic stupor and um and then he gets a break i think al pacino comes and talks to him and he's like a producer and he's like yeah i'm gonna send you to italy and um you know even though you're a washed up actor here you're a washed up actor in hollywood i'll send you to italy and you can make movies again. And Isn't that so, what? Isn't that what Orson Welles did? Where they someone they stopped producing his movies in America, and he went abroad and made movies there. Yeah, yeah, that used to happen back then. It's like, oh, you're washed up in the U.S. Well, because the U.S. is such a powerhouse, if you're washed up in the U.S., you're still considered a superstar, like in Europe and other places. Not now. I'm talking about like in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, that's what he did. So he goes out there and, um, and then you see him on set doing, you know, movies and shit. And of course he takes Brad Pitt with him. And while he's out there, he meets a woman, he marries her. This is not important. They totally gloss over this part. They literally just say it. It's like, yeah, he met a woman, he married her. And then he brings her back and he goes to his Hollywood pl- his, um, his place. And then one night, and this is the whole crux of the movie. This is the revisionist. Oh, also, um, I didn't even mention it because it's so insignificant. Uh, Margot Robbie is in this. She is playing Sharon Tate and she is in a really weird relationship where like she's married to one dude, but she's her husband is out of town and she's best friends with this dude who totally wants to fuck her, 
but he's like trying to play it cool so that he can at least stay with her so that the husband is like yeah okay then he's gonna fuck her and yeah it's a weird situation and like their whole time is just like parties and shit and like you you're introduced to her by her going to see her own movie and she's I like oh that was trailer. my leg and was, yeah and that that's pretty much her part and then okay. um and then she gets pregnant and um and she like had a party or something anywho so there's this one night where um the the manson murders are getting ready to happen there's like four of them one girl freaks out and takes off so then it's three it's one dude and two girls and uh, at the same time so this was the night that they get that that um they came back from italy and um uh, brad pitt had been given a blunt that was soaked in something oh no i think it was a cigarette that was soaked in um formaldehyde or something i don't know anyway it was it was something that was like way more powerful than just a regular like blunt and so he was supposed to smoke that like the last night so he's supposed to smoke it on like a special occasion and he chose the last night to be with his best friend as the, the deal is to smoke it so they all go out to dinner after dinner they go um after dinner they go home and he decides I'm going to go walk the dog because now that Leonardo DiCaprio is married, he can't stay with him because he was staying like in the guest house. And so he's got to go find another place. So then the next day he's supposed to move out. Right. Well, right. He, he goes to walk a dog as he's walking the dog, the Manson murder, the Manson people are coming and they were supposed to go in real life. What happens is the three of them go and kill Sharon Tate. They, they, um, I think they torture and murder and it's just a horrible thing. That's what happened in real life. But in this story, instead of going to the house, instead of going to her house, which is the house up the hill, they go to the first house, which is like just before. So like in Hollywood, everything like winds and it's all kind of a hill. But like when you go up, you can make a like a little, you can curve a little bit. And if you curve a little bit, you go to Leonardo DiCaprio's house. If you don't curve and you keep going, you get to Sharon Tate's house. And so instead of going, continuing up the hill to Sharon Tate's house, they curve and they go to Leonardo DiCaprio's house. And um, they are in there, and of course, because he beat Bruce Lee, he's obviously a badass, so of course, he like starts killing most of them, but then they don't die, and then Leonardo wakes up, and then he goes and gets the flamethrower that you saw in the commercial, and he um, basically like barbecues them, and then the cops come, and they're like, oh, and so he killed, again, it's revisionist history, because they actually did it but in the in this one they don't kill anybody because the the three of them well he and um leonardo DiCaprio and brad pitt kill the three of them and uh, pretty gruesome <laughs> as well and um and then like the cops come and he tells the story and then somebody else was like oh you're so and so and then like he's kind of famous now because of the story because of you know how he thwarted it so he's like a real life hero and that's the movie Okay. It sounds like Inglorious Bastards with another thing. Revisionist history it's, where it's, the yeah, heroes get to history. kill bad guys. Yeah. But it doesn't but sound as not in an, Exactly. I was just about to say, but not in an interesting way. Like, there's no Christoph Waltz. There's no... There's, there's no there aren't compelling characters. It's just a bunch of assholes. And the only character... Like, um, Sharon Tate's not an asshole, but she's so insignificant. Like, when you see her, it's really just name-dropping of other Hollywood stars from the time, like Roman Polanski and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, they just, 
every time you see her, there are like nine other more famous people that they're name dropping, and she's completely irrelevant and insignificant. That's like she's basically just in the story to be like, yeah, in real life, she was the one who got murdered. But in this one, everybody wins except the bad guys. They die. So yeah, it's to me, that's why I'm like, why does everybody like this? Because this was stupid. And it's like two hours and 20 minutes long. I, yeah. So that's why I didn't like it. Um, okay. Let's end this on Jackie Brown because that okay. is the Robert De Niro movie for this week. All right. So you said that this is based, uh, that this is uh, based on black exploitation. Yes. What is that? I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were going to be like, okay, cool. What the fuck is black exploitation? Uh, <laughs> Uh, black exploitation was during, during like the set, the sixties and seventies, um, because Hollywood studios refused to hire black people to be anything other than like hired help or just at all. Um, black filmmakers, independent filmmakers started doing their own movies. And so you had, um, you had a lot of movies, you had like, um, a lot of directors and writers that came up. And these are all, it's kind of like Black Panther. It's like black director, black writers, black actors. It's a, it's a black film. And mm-hmm. then when, hot, when these films be, started becoming, they started doing well in black communities, then the studios were like, wait a minute, people are actually paying for this? Okay, um, <laughs> let's make some of these. And so, but then it was the studio exploiting our stories. So that's why it's called black exploitation. It's the studios exploiting black stories. And of course, in their stories, we're all gangsters and thugs and everybody's talking jive and everybody's a pimp or a whore. And yeah, so black exploitation. Um, and so Tarantino grew up watching those. And um, Coffee was one of them, which starred Pam Greer. And um, he, just, he based it off of movies like that. Okay. So what do you think about uh, this one? What do I think about it? Yeah, what do you think about Jackie Brown? I liked it. Good, me too. It's a good movie. To me, it's one of his best. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's his best because I don't know. To me, I have a hard time kind of quantifying that. Like, I would put Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, like, I would say he's got like a solid five. Like, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. Those are like the quintessential Quentin Tarantino. Everything else, it's like, yeah, that was good. Like, Inglourious Passes, I'm like, yeah, that was good. Um, what was it? Like, Hateful Eight was another one I didn't particularly care for. Um, I didn't like, the, I, you know, I, I didn't like uh, the one I was just talking about that I can't remember the name. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, you his latest so films... Much, but you, keep, you keep pushing it out of your head. Like, I don't need to remember that. It doesn't matter. It's you know what it's that's my point it's so nothing it's so nothing i can't remember it um yeah so once upon a time in hollywood and um and hateful eight not my cup of tea i didn't see django unchained because it wasn't my cup of tea um and uh inglorious bastards is is good but it's nothing to me compared to Okay, so I, I don't want to say I don't want to say it's nothing, but compared to the movies that I think of as quintessential Quentin, mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards to me doesn't measure up. But it's still a good movie. It's just, it's just not, not as good Quint- as the others. That's fair. Yeah. So with um with this one, this uh, Jackie Brown has 
the um the dialogue uh the the steppy dialogue where pe- when people are talking about crimes that they're doing that pop fiction does um uh-huh. but it doesn't feel like pop fiction it feels different which i appreciate um so jackie brown is coming in and she has money that she got for her boss um or boyfriend i forget which played by samuel L. jackson and and um michael keaton and someone else uh have gotten uh intel on on her and they know exactly who she is where she's coming from and how much money she has uh-huh. um, they got intel on her from beaumont yeah beaumont and no beaumont so, beaumont yes okay he was um he's chris tucker remember in the beginning um yeah. jackson wanted him to get in the trunk he's the one the reason why he killed him is because he but he got caught Remember in the beginning, like um, the beginning, he went to Max Cherry for bail bonds for mm-hmm. a bond on Beaumont. The reason why he bailed Beaumont out is because he didn't want him to, con- you know, to to confess because he was like, I know you're weak and you'll turn states in a heartbeat. You know, you'll turn you'll turn me in to keep your own ass out of jail. Well, that's exactly what he did. Yeah. And that's where they got the information about Jackie. Okay. So this entire thing is full of backstabbing and double crossing and triple crossing. <laughs> um, whose side is anyone even on? Everybody's on their own side. That's, That's fair. the easiest way to see it. Everyone's on their own, except for Melanie. Melanie, she is on her own side, but she's also just on the side of pissing everybody off. Cause she can't like, or pissing off specifically uh, the two men. She pissed with, off uh, Robert De Niro a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, she pissed him off so much he shot her in the stomach and left her for dead. <laughs> so uh, I liked when he goes to um, Sam Jackson and he's like, and uh, Sam asks, "Where's where's where's Melanie?" And he's like, "I shot her." Well, I mean, if you had to shoot her, you had to shoot her. Like she's yeah, so. My favorite part about that, he's like, eh, she she's kind of dead. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like she's you know she's pretty much dead and he's like motherfucker how's somebody pretty much dead <laughs> well you know i shot her she she was really pissing me off <laughs> like, i like that that's a reasonable ex- uh explanation um to him so she well, gets- i mean to be fair he also uh de niro fucked her and then later on was like, yeah, I fucked your girl. And he's like, oh, she's not my girlfriend. And he's like, oh, okay, that does make me feel better. And he's like, I hope you felt bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I did, I did. You know, I pro- appropriately felt guilty for a minute. You know, I feel better now though. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but you still fucked her anyway. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Samuel L. Jackson. He's, he has that kind of acting attitude where he's just like, What's the script this week? Oh, something really good? All right, I'll be really good. Something ridiculous? I'll be ridiculous. He adapts to his scripts. Um, mm-hmm. And he's in like a million things. So that makes sense. Um, <laughs> Samuel Jackson in this is selling guns. Mm-hmm. And he, they, 
there's a scene, I think it's the first scene we see of him, where he's talking about how guns aren't popular until they're in movies, and then they become popular. He's talking about what? He's he's, uh, talking about a specific gun that wasn't popular and wasn't known, and then it was put into a movie, and then it became popular. Yeah, and that's how, so as soon as people see something as cool, then they come to him like, I want that gun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, I think that was the scene. It wasn't the first scene you see of him. That was like halfway through the movie. But um, okay. where it, was, it, it might have been the first scene. It's not the first scene, but it's um, it's in a meeting or not the meeting, but like when they he comes together with uh, with Robert De Niro. <laughs> and it was like, like when what was that? It was AK forty seven? I don't remember so. the kind of gun, but it was like when you got to shoot every motherfucker in the room except no substitutes. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. He's got a great pitch. Um, my my favorite quote from that though was after he kills Robert De Niro, he was like, "You were beautiful, man." <laughs> I say that all the time, and nobody knows that I'm quoting Jackie Brown. I've just heard like, that quote. You were beautiful. You've heard me say it. I've said it to you like, I, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah." You you've said that quote, and I'm and I had no idea it was from this, but I heard that. I'm like, "Hey, I've heard that quote. I wonder where I heard it from." Apparently, it was you. It, me. <laughs> <laughs> I quote movies all the time it's just most people don't get it uh yeah i think oh uh (laughs) what happened to you man you used to be beautiful you used to be beautiful (laughs) (laughs) uh robert de niro in this plays just pathetic Mm -hmm. and he plays it so well like he's just hanging on and it's interesting going from from um goodfellas uh goodfellas godfather he was you, in Godfather. Went, was he also in? You went Untouchable, Goodfellas, Goodfellas Godfather, uh, Part yeah. Two, and now Jackie Brown. Yeah, it's it's interesting going from from that and seeing him at the at the height of everyone respects him to this, where he's just a loser and he's and he's <laughs> hanging hang on to uh, whatever glory they can bring him and trying to um, and, and trying to be better than he is it's it's an interesting contrast to godfather yeah see and you get to see like the range from de niro like because i didn't want you i didn't want the month to be like just gangster movies which i mean granted it's like half of the movies de niro has done but he's also done like raging bull and um and taxi which some i mean they're they're both they're all disturbed characters but he's also you know he's done like meet the parents and meet the fuckers and he's done jackie brown and he's done like he's done a ton of different things he has a range and he's done movies to show that range but he's done so many mafia movies and he's so good at it that i think that almost overshadows the rest of his work yeah it's like people just people put him in um in their movies because that he and he's done a bunch of other stuff but he's just known for goodfellas and the godfather well okay so those are really good movies he's known predominantly like if if most people if you were to say like name one robert de niro film most people would say godfather part two because that's the most that's the biggest one it's the most prominent it's the one he got the oscar for um but he's also like, oh man, I wanted to have Sleepers be on this list so bad because I love that movie and it is so disturbing. But it's not streaming anywhere. 
oh, and I no longer have it. I used to have a copy of it, but I don't anymore. Um, but it's in that movie, he plays a priest and he's just, he's believable in anything he does. So yeah, it's, um, I think the next one is going to be heist mm-hmm. where he plays, uh, again, he's playing a gangster, but this time Al Pacino is a cop and it's, it's more of a, I'm sorry. I said um, heist. I always do that. I say heist. I meant heat. So the movie's going to be heat, but it, it is a heist film. Fair enough. It is Sleep is from 1996. Yes. I can get it. You'd have to pay for it. It's only like four bucks. Oh. Well, I was trying to make it so, like, you know, it was just streaming. I know, but uh, we'll discuss it later. So, all of these stories, so there's a bunch of connected stories, and we go back and forth to all the characters, and he does that thing uh, where he, he shows a scene play out, and then he shows the same scene from another point of view. And I think he does mm-hmm. that like three times for one specific scene, which is the scene with the money, so that we find out exactly where the money went. Yes. Because um, uh, Michael Keaton marked like $50,000. and Yeah, so she told the feds that she was bringing in $50,000. So they marked $50,000. She brought in $500,000. Which is his life savings, I think? No, it's half. Okay. He had a million dollars in the Cayman Islands that he was supposed to bring up. And um, she convinced Beaumont, or not Beaumont, sorry. She convinced, um, she, oh, what the hell was his name? Now I can't think of his name. Um, anyway, she convinced Samuel Jackson's character to bring in 500000 And she told Ordell. the feds. Ordell. Ordell. Yeah. Ordell. She convinced Ordell to, bring in, to um, let her bring in 500000 but she said she's going to tell the feds it's only uh, like 50,000. So the feds will see 50,000. They'll count 50,000. They'll mark 50,000. And then she's going to swap bags with somebody else for the full 500,000. So, um, so that was the plan, right? And that, the plan was he was supposed to have, so Ordell's got women all over the place, right? He was supposed to have one woman come and you know swap out the bags while they were eating and then she was going to go and do the but you know do everything the rest of the way and then it was supposed to be that ordell doesn't show that was the plan according to ordell and according to the cops it was supposed to be he's having her bring in fifty thousand, and if he can get this fifty thousand through like he's really paranoid and if he can get this fifty thousand through then he'll send for the rest of the million and um and, or no, was, I don't know if she told them it was a full million. I think she told she said it might have only been five hundred thousand, but that you know he didn't bring it. It was yeah, only she you know, mentioned the five hundred thousand. Yeah, so um, so he had a million in the islands, but she was bringing five hundred thousand. She told them that he was worth five hundred thousand, so that he could at least get the other five hundred thousand. And she told mm-hmm. Ordell this whole plot, and she told the feds that it was only fifty thousand because it was a test run and if you got this then she'd send her back for the rest of it and so they marked the fifty thousand, which is exactly what they expected to see and here's the thing michael keaton's not stupid he knows she's up to something but he can't prove it so i like i like his um they show how smart he is because he's like i'm going to be checked that bag again and i expect to see that amount you're definitely up to something um well you know he's up to something because he says um 
when she when she asks like have you ever thought about taking anything and he's like oh it's real tempting huh and then he like looks at her and he he like gives her a look and then he's like yeah like i do expect to see fifty thousand. and then he kind of looks at her like is this all that was there like he knows but he can't prove it because they did search her remember yeah they searched her and they didn't they like he searched the bag himself and he only found fifty thousand. but he knows something's up he just doesn't know what and he doesn't know how but he knows there's more than just 50,000. He just, again, he can't prove it because he opened the bag like he was expecting and he found 50,000 like he was expecting. So, um, so he's like, okay, I know she's getting one over on me. I just don't know how. <laughs> so, um, so then she pulls a rope-a-dope and she has him to send Melanie in and, um, or no, she, he was supposed to send another girl and then he ends up sending Melanie and um so she's like okay i'll use this so she gives melanie the she takes the fifty thousand that or she puts books and um yeah takes this exact same bag she puts she fills it with books to weigh it down and on the top of it she puts um she puts towels like beach towels and then she puts the fifty thousand on top and she tells melanie hey take the fifty thousand like that's for you so then Melanie takes it, stuffs the 50000 in her pocket or in her pants, and then she goes out and pisses off Lewis and he shoots her. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, the cops find her body and they find the 50000 that they marked on her. So according to them, the money is taken care of. And she has fulfilled her part. You know, Jackie has fulfilled her part. And Ordell shot, ja- shot Melanie not knowing that she still had the 50000 on her. That's the story that the cop, that the feds have. And, um, but it's not done yet because Odell wants his money. (laughs) Yeah. Uh So, and then what really happened was she left the, she had two bags. She let, she gave one to Melanie. The second one she left in the dressing room. She ran out saying, Ray, Ray, he took it. He took it. Like it's gone. It's gone. And that cleared her while she was doing all that drama. Homeboy Max, the bail bondsman, goes, uh, my wife left some towels in the in the back. And she's like, I'll go get them. So yeah. he goes, gets the bag of money, walks right out the door, five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so that's all happens at a shopping mall. So it was brilliant. The only reason why they why the only way they got caught was the fact that Lewis saw him and he mentioned it. So Lewis told Ordell, like, Oh yeah, the bail bondsman was there. And you didn't Lewis, think that it was yeah. suspicious. Yeah. He's like, no, I and Ordell was-, was smart enough to figure out, oh, Jackie weighed down the bag. She put the books in there to trick me to think that it would weigh that. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what she did. <laughs> so, so Ordell's so coming she, after Jackie because he wants his the, money. The st- he would probably have believed the story uh, that she told where she only had enough time to put $50,000 in there because uh, the feds were tracking her uh, if she didn't weigh down the bag with books. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have believed her. No, he Ordell is smarter than he looked. Like I said, he figured out that she weighed down the bag. Ordell would have, as you saw, he killed everybody. He didn't believe their excuses, no matter what. And that's why Jackie was like, you got, he's got to die. Because if he doesn't die, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. So getting away with it on the cop end so that the feds are like, okay, you're free. That's not enough. That's not good enough. She's got to, Ordell has to die. Because if not, he's going to send somebody to kill her. Or he's going to kill her himself. And um, as you saw, he likes to do it himself to make sure it was done. Um, so that's why she brings in Ray and she has that setup to where, you know, she's in the dark, sitting there by herself, 
and she has Ray come out and kill him because she's like, he's got a gun. Of course he had a gun, but he hadn't pulled it on her yet. <laughs> so, but either way, like he's dead now and the cops have their 50,000 or the feds, the feds have their 50,000 and Mark's bill's back and Ordell's dead. And no, the only person who's alive that knows about the 500,000 is Max. She sent him his cut, which is 50,000 or about the 500,000. She sent him his cut of 500,000. She was going to give him more. She tried to convince him to run away with her. And he's like, nope, I'm just going to stay here. And he's smart because remember from Goodfellas, don't uh-huh. do anything extravagant because that's how your ass gets caught. Yeah, I think he took his fee, which was 10%. So 50,000, he took 50,000 of 500,000. Yeah, that's what I just said. No, you said that he took 500,000. No, I said of the 500,000. Okay. He took 50,000 of the 500,000. That was his Okay. Cut. I miss I misheard. Um, yeah, he's the smartest person there because he's like, mm, I'm just gonna let this play out and then see what happens. Because no, the smartest a- person was Jackie because she's literally the one who orchestrated the whole thing. I mean, she did, but she got a bit lucky. No, she didn't get lucky. She knew she played both sides against the middle and she came out on top. True. So Jackie and Max. Uh, Jackie was the smartest one because she organized everything. And Max was like, I'm just going to wait here in the back. And like, if this works out, cool. If it doesn't, I'm just going to leave. Yeah, well, he didn't No, He wasn't going to leave. He wasn't going to leave either way because he was going to stay there and be mail bondsman. I mean, because true, here's the like, thing, like the money that he got, all of the money that came through his hands, he had a reason for it. There were bonds for it. Yeah. And that's why, that's why they was went above board the whole time. Except that's for why when they, he went and got the towels. That's why they went for um that's that's why um Samuel Jackson went to him because he had the money to bail this guy out of prison, but he's like, mm, they figure out that I they're gonna question why I have the money, but if the bail bondsman does that and bails him out, then that'll be fine. No, you still have to pay for bail. The bail bondsman does it on your behalf. Yeah, but like there's a a paper trail that there's a what they you're cutting out the, so I'm, I'm hearing everything. They, i don't know they can keep themselves clean what was his plan no you, no that's not how they work bail bondsman is okay. somebody you go to to arrange bail for you for it, it, it's a third party that's part of the system but again he has receipts for everything so ordell still like it, it's on the record that ordell is the one who paid the money it's just instead of going to a lawyer, you go to a bail bondsman because bail bondsmen are a little bit cheaper. But they're also pseudo bounty hunters because if you skip bail, since they, you know, they'll put up the money, but then if you skip bail, they're going to hunt you down. I thought, and they're um, going to make sure you go to trial. Yeah, so bail bondsmen hire bounty hunters or are bounty hunters. It's a yeah. whole system. Um, That's what, I mean, they even showed that in the movie because remember he was like, I had to go hunt, I had to go track somebody down. And remember the other dude, he was like, What's he do? And he was like, he hunts people. He finds people. And he's like, How, who, who does he find? People who don't want to be found. That's what they do. Like when, when, if somebody skips bail, if they posted bail for someone, they are now responsible for that person showing up to court. And if someone skips bail, they have to go find them and bring them to court. This is so very... it's like when you post bail, it's like you're financially vouching for someone. But the bail bondsman is not the person is is not the person who paid. Like, they're the ones who deal with the court system for you. But according to the courts, it's the person who's actually physically paying for this. So it would be Ordell. 
that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like he's getting out of the courts knowing. No, the court, like, or he still has to sign paperwork. So the cops, knew, like, the feds knew Ordell was the one paying for it. So it's so not like did, he doesn't have a paper trail. So what was the, uh, what was his plan? Who's Ordell's? Or yeah, Ordell's. Or, when, uh, he, when he Max. paid for the bail bondsman, was it just to get him involved? No, you, you, that's, bail bondsman's part of the judicial system. If you, like yeah. I said, you can either go to a bail bondsman to post bail, or you can go to a lawyer. Lawyers well, are wanna... way more expensive. Okay, so he did that. So you go to a bail bondsman who's cheaper, but the bail bondsmen are also, so a lawyer is like, they're stuffed shirts. You go to a lawyer, you have to pay the lawyer to basically just file the paperwork. And mm-hmm. lawyers are like $350 an hour. Or okay, so, you can go to a so bail bondsman that. who takes 10% of the bail as his fee. And But the thing is, because he's so much cheaper, he will hunt your ass down if you skip bail. Okay. And, and yeah, so um, it's not, he you, wasn't avoiding like a paper trail. How or does anything. It was bail work? There. So when, if you I forget, you don't know, you don't have, so what do you guys do? If somebody gets arrested before trial, are they just, do they just stay in jail? Like what, what happens over there? Uh, no, I think you can post bail. I just don't know the ins and outs of how it works. Um, oh. Do if you don't, if you, do you get the bail money back? Um, I don't know. I think you might, if you're acquitted, but if you're guilty, no. Okay, if you, so if you're how guilty, do bail- you just you shit out of luck. You just lose everything, and you end up having you know you have lawyer fees and all that shit. You're just basically like in horrible debt. If bail bondsmen's, um, so how do bail bondsmen's work? Because they have to put up the bail, don't they? You have to pay them. Yeah, That's what I'm pay- saying. Okay, so Beaumont was in jail. Jackie was in jail, right? Okay, so let's start right. with Jackie. So okay. Jackie was in jail. Okay, in order for her to get out, so in order for her to post bail. Ordell went to a bail bondsman and said, hey, I need you to get her out. And then he looks at the crime and what she's up against and how much her bail is. And he was like, okay, if your bail is a million dollars, that means you have to pay $100,000 to get out. Somebody's got to pay that $100,000. Okay. So in her case, let's say her bail was $100,000. That means somebody has to pay $10,000 for her to get out. Can't be her. She's in jail. So Ordell pays $10,000 to max the bail bondsman okay max post bail max takes that ten thousand dollars and post bail and gets her out and then she has to go back to trial now in addition to that ten thousand dollars he also has to pay max's fee okay and then uh when her court trial her, her court date comes around she has to go back to the trial if she skips trial then he finds her because it's basically like he vouched for her that she's going to go to trial that's what bail is. Bail is like, let me out. I'll come back. I'll come back and stand trial, but I want to live my life right now. Let me out. So you pay money to be able to go back and live your life. And if you don't okay. show up, then you not only forfeit that money, but now you're a fugitive. Okay. So the, um, so that makes sense. Okay. So all that out of the way, mm-hmm. her plan was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Max was concerned that, um, that she wasn't, that it would fall apart because why would they do that? But she knew the system well. Max was concerned that life would happen because things don't fall into place the way you expect them. Anytime you make a plan, usually shit happens. Things get fucked up and Uh you can't account for all the variables when you're making a plan. So he didn't want her to do it because 
in the situation she's in, she, the two sides that she's playing against the middle, one, on one hand, you have the feds, and on the other hand, you have a gangster. If you misstep, either you're going to get killed by the gangster or go to prison for life. So he didn't want her to play this game because he didn't want to see her either end up in prison for life or dead. That's why he was like, this is a dangerous game you're playing. And she's like, I don't have anything to lose. <laughs> like, my job is shit. I lost it anyway. He's going to kill me no matter what. The feds want to put me away if I don't help him. So she played both sides against the middle. She came up with a plan where the feds get what they want, Ordell gets killed, and she gets to walk away. She's a fucking genius. Yep. Yeah, so to me, this is one of the better Tarantino films. But I wouldn't call it his best because I put it up there with, like, like I said, I put Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Jackie Brown, and Reservoir Dogs. Those, to me, are quintessential Quentin. I need to see Reservoir Dogs because it's his, um, it's his first movie. So it's yes. the one that he put all of his passion into. It's like, if I'm going to only make one movie, it's going to be this one. All right. So what did you think of uh, Jackie Brown? I thought that it, I thought that she was a genius. I really liked her character and I want to see more things that, um, that this woman has done. Uh, Pam Greer. I want to see more of her mm-hmm. movies. Okay. I'm very excited. I'm also um, happy that we covered Tarantino as well, because Tarantino was going to be on my director's list. If we did this for directors next year, mm-hmm. um, so I'm glad that we covered uh, his career as well. So all in all, this was a v- massive success. <laughs> okay. All right. Is there anything you want to say before we go? Uh, Tarantino is great. Uh, Robert De Niro is becoming very interesting. To you? To me. I mean, he's right. always been interesting, but I, now I'm playing catch yeah. up. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, all right. So next week... Next week is um, heist films, and your De Niro film is Heat, which is another like classic De Niro film. Really Can't wait to see it. Anyhow, all right. If you liked what you just heard, do us a favor: subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. Because why wouldn't you? We're some somewhat funny. I mean, you gotta admit we're entertaining. We're dorks, but we're entertaining. We're fucking delightful. Share the love. Also, follow us on all the links that are in the description. Bye.